Hey, we're in uh, week four of the Revealing series, and um, I like this because it is so fitting for where we are in our community and our world, really, our country and our world, all the stuff that's going on. God is still revealing himself. And we're talking about a period of about 40 days where Jesus uh, had died, resurrected, and now he's on purpose showing himself to people in different circumstances. And so we're going to pick that up. If you're in your living room or if you're at work and you can do this, hopefully it's not causing you too much distraction at work. Uh, Or if you're outside, stand to your feet. We're going to read scripture together in honor of the word. John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 24. You may see a little theme here. We were in John chapter 20 last Sunday as well. And I believe the Sunday before. And so Jesus is getting ready to reveal himself again in verse 24 through 29. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, His disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed those who have not seen and yet have believed. Father, we thank you so much today. We thank you that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of fear, in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of unbelief, Lord, you show up right in the middle of it. God, we've said this whole time, you're not playing hide and go seek with us, Lord. It's your desire to reveal yourself to people. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He didn't come to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. And so you're not hiding, waiting for us to find you. In the midst of chaos like this, God, you're showing up. In the midst of fear, you're showing up. In the midst of of doubt, you're showing up. So I thank you for that. And I pray that as we look into your word this morning, God, that you transform our heart and minds. Cause us to think differently today, Lord, in turn, cause us to do differently. We thank you for this moment. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. If, um, if you've never heard of a guy named Thomas before, he was one of the disciples. He, um, he shows up in John's gospel in chapter 11, actually. And I think this is one of the more uh, strange stories in the Bible because Jesus and the disciples get word that their friend Lazarus was sick. Word was sent to them in chapter 11 that Lazarus was sick. So uh, the disciples, I think, had the idea that Jesus would just pop up and go to him, but Jesus didn't. He looks at him, he says, no, he's not going to die. It's not going to end in death. And so everybody's like, okay, we can chill out here. A little bit of backstory on that is that the last time Jesus was in the area where Lazarus was, they tried to stone him to death. 
So I have a feeling the disciples weren't too worried about going back to Lazarus at the time. So a couple days goes by and Jesus pops up and says, hey, we need to go. And, uh, and they say, well, wait a second. You said he wasn't going to die. He's just sick. And Jesus says, well, he's dead now. And, and I don't know about you, but there's sometimes Jesus talks and even 2000 years later with commentaries and, 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 and study Bibles and all that stuff. I'm just like, I don't even know what he's talking about. Why did he tell him he wasn't going to die? And then he tells him it's not going to end. And, and, and then he says, no, he's dead. And they're all looking around like, well, did we miss something? Sat around here two days. You tell us he wasn't going to die. And now you said he is dead. And now we need to go back. Thomas, who I believe was a devout follower of Christ at the time, was also kind of a pessimist. You ever run into somebody who loved Jesus but just couldn't have an optimistic bone in their body? Well, we're all going to die and go to heaven one day. Yeah, but we don't have to think it's going to be today. We can, he said you came, he came to have life and life more abundantly. We should open, wake up with a smile on our face. But when you read chapter 11, Thomas tells the other ones, he says, hey, we'll all go. Jesus says, let's go back. The disciples go, don't you remember they tried to stone you there? And then Thomas speaks up in his wisdom and says, well, let's go. We'll just all die. <laughs> if I was sitting in there, I'd say, Thomas, man, come on. He was a devout follower of Christ, but he wasn't the most optimistic person on the planet, it seems. So now we pick it up in chapter 20. If you remember last week, we talked that Jesus had appeared through a locked door. The day of the resurrection, that evening, the Bible says that the disciples had locked themselves in the room for fear of the Jews, and they're confused, they're scared to death, and Jesus just walks in the room. And he says, peace be with you. And he reveals himself to them, and they're, they're super excited to see him. We pick it up, in verse 24, a week later, a week later, and I have a feeling that when we hear this conversation between the disciples and Thomas, that it might not have been the first time they had talked about this. Over the last eight days, evidently Thomas was not with them the first time Jesus came and showed himself, the Resurrection Sunday, I have a feeling Thomas was so freaked out, he just couldn't be around anybody. You ever been that way? Just so freaked out, you just couldn't stand to be around anybody. So it says, when he revealed himself to the disciples the first time on Resurrection Sunday in that locked room, Thomas wasn't there. So I got a feeling that the word got to Thomas that somehow during those eight days, somehow during the middle of the week, somebody said, hey, Thomas, man, we... We saw Jesus. He's resurrected for real. And I could see Thomas going, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can believe that. And so then all of a sudden on eight days later, he finds himself with them. And you see an almost an almost a irritant in the conversation. Hey, we saw the risen Lord. We're not kidding, man. He's in the room with them and he's saying, listen, for the last time, if I don't touch him, I'm not going to believe. I've 
I preached this before here. I preached it every, in a bunch of places in Africa. I think we've labeled him the wrong label. If you've been in church any length of time, and maybe if you haven't, here's the first time you're going to hear this. Everybody calls him Doubting Thomas. I think that's unfair. I think that's unfair. I think if you'd have seen Jesus die on the cross and then his body, you heard his body was not in the tomb and you have not physically seen him, I bet you you would be the same way. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I know there's some skeptics out there. I know you question everything. And sometimes we superimpose Superman faith on ourselves when these people were just living it out day after day after day trying to figure it out. And what I find out about me is, is there's a lot of times in my life where I don't have Superman faith, where I'm, I'm doubting just as much as anyone else. And so I kind of could see myself, I'm an optimistic guy, but I'm going, hey, I don't know. I don't know, if I saw him die on the cross, if this was real life, and I saw him die on the cross, I might be the guy that said, wait a second, if I'm gonna follow him around the rest, if I'm gonna do what he's asked me to do the rest of my life, I at least wanna touch him. I at least wanna touch him. So you could see a little bit of angst in Thomas when this conversation starts. It's almost like he's like, don't talk to me about this again. If I don't touch him, I'm not gonna believe. Picture the disciples in the room. Peter turns around to James like, he's impossible. He won't believe anything we say. So you can kind of feel the tension building of like, why won't he just believe us? And I started thinking about this. I started thinking because I've run into a lot of people over my lifetime that I've tried to convince that Jesus is real, that they basically said, no, no, not yet. Not yet. I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know. I don't know if I can believe that. And here's, here's something that I need to make sure we understand. Unbelief should not cause separation. Unbelief should not cause separation. And when I say that, here's what I mean by this. Unbelief should not cause separation. It means if the only reason you're friends with somebody is to tell them about Jesus, get to them, them to believe, and you can move on to the next person, that's not real friends. That's not real friends. We used to call that in retail bait and switch. I'm, I, I bring you in here for this, but I really, my motivations are actually something else. So I'm telling you I'm your friend just because you, just so you believe in Jesus. And then when you believe in Jesus, I'm going to move on. And what happens is when people don't believe right away, we get frustrated. So we quit. Here's what I know. Thomas walked around with Jesus personally. Personally, walked around with him, saw him heal people, saw him raise people from the dead. Saw He was with him when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He watched him do unbelievable miracles and it took him eight days to believe he was resurrected. Eight days. Eight days in a physical appearance to believe he was resurrected. Jesus then turns to Thomas and says, hey, listen, it's good that you got to touch me but blessed are the people who will never get to touch me and still believe. So what I'm saying as a pastor is people need to know you care about them, not the decision they may make. 
How long did it take for you? Eight days? Two weeks? Four years? 10 years? 20 years? 30 years? How long did it take? We forget how long it took for us to believe that Jesus was actually resurrected, that he was Lord, that he is Lord of our lives, that he is sa- our savior, that we, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, fancy words in the Bible, trespasses. If we were dead, we couldn't do anything about it. We had sinned against God. There was no other way. And we found out for the first time that Jesus was Lord. How long did it take for us to believe enough to actually put faith in it? Thomas, eight days. What if it takes your neighbor 10 years? What if it takes, what if it takes one of your family members five years? What if it takes your kid four years? What if it takes 20 years? What if it takes, what if it takes 30 years? I've heard stories of people praying for people over kids, praying for their parents over and over 20 years later, 20 years later. So what my biggest concern is that the world knows that we love them. That Jesus loves them. And so it can't be like, hey man, I've been talking to you for like a week. You don't believe in Jesus yet? Like, it's a pretty convincing story. I've been doing it for the last 45 minutes and you don't believe yet? Like Like I could write it down on a napkin. Watch this, there's a gap. Here's you and here's Jesus. And here's God. You and God, there's a big gap. And then Jesus, you draw a cross. You ever done that? You draw a cross. Jesus filled the gap. And people go, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe that or not. And we go, what are you talking about? I remember showing videos back in the day, in the early 90s. It seemed like every Christian video in the early 90s that came out was about uh, the second coming of Christ. And it was these weird videos where the resurrection would happen or the, 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 um, the rapture would happen, which is a point in time that Christians believe that Jesus is going to, um, that rapture us to take us up as Christians. And so we believe that. And so they started, they were making videos about it and it was so weird. Like I would watch it and think it's weird. Like all these Christians would disappear from the earth. And you see news reporters standing out in front of buildings going, well, there's 75 people missing out of the building today. We don't know what happened to them. What do you think, Johnny? I think aliens took them. I would show that video to somebody and then turn to them and say, do you believe in Jesus now? And they'd let, dude, you are weird. Why would you even, that's, a, that's crazy. I don't even know if I believe that's the way it's gonna happen now. So I'd get frustrated and I'd be like, hey man, are you kidding me? That's my best story. That's my best, that's my best gig. I paid $20 for that video and the guy that sold me the video told me it would save my whole neighborhood. <laughs> Couldn't even save my neighbor. The person living right beside me looked at me like I was nuts. Thomas walks around with Jesus for, for three years. Jesus resurrects, it takes him eight days and a physical touch. And we get frustrated with loving on people. Can I ask you this this morning? What does it matter how long it takes? Whose timeline are we on anyway? 
What's it matter if it takes 10 years? What's it matter if it takes five years? What's their, well, they're throwing their life away. Jesus can redeem everything that got thrown away. What's it matter? What's it matter if you just love on people until Jesus reveals himself? What's it matter? Why, why does all this, why does unbelief have to cause separation with us? Jesus hung around people that never believed he was a Messiah. Not everybody that he ate dinner with thought he was God incarnate. And yet they were all fine being around him. Some of the people he ate with, I would assume, were yelling crucify when he was on the cross. And he was still fine. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He was loving them even through that. I'm going to rescue them. 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 I'm patient. I'm patient. I'm patient. I'm patient. Thomas took a week. What if your friend does take a year? Here's the thing I'm figuring out about God. He doesn't separate from us because of unbelief. He reveals himself to us in the middle of it. God wants to redeem all mankind. So here's what I figured out. He's way more patient than we are. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So that's how God operates towards us. And then in Galatians, Paul's writing to the church in Galatians says, hey, listen, if the spirit of God is in you, these are the characteristics you should have. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience. Well, Lord, how long is it going to take for my husband to figure out that you're the risen Savior? How long is it going to take for my wife to figure it out? How long is it going to take for my kids to figure out? And he's saying, be patient. I'm working. Be patient. I'm working. Be patient. Stop getting in the way. Because sometimes I believe the impatience of us gets in the way of the patience of God. God said, listen, man, I didn't come to not save them. And you have to rest in the idea that I want them with me worse than you do. But I know the best way to go about that. And I remember, I remember my circumstance, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, stop showing that stupid video. <laughs> so I stopped showing, I don't even know where it is now. Stop showing the stupid video and just love on people. What does love look like? First Corinthians 13. It's, we say this at every wedding, hoping that it sticks. If I speak in the tongues of men and, and have angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the very first thing Paul describes love as is patient. The very fact that we can be patient with people who don't believe yet means that you love them. If you remove the patience out of it, I don't see how love can stand. Well, I can't hang around you anymore because you don't believe in Jesus. I just love you so much. I need you to believe. You love me enough not to hang around me. You love me enough that you can't be around me anymore. Cause I don't see that anywhere in scripture. Unbelief can't separate us. Unbelief cannot separate us. We have to be patient with people. 
We have to be patient because Jesus knows the key to them believing. You know, we can, we can look over this part. I, I actually love this part of this verse because Thomas says to the disciples, it's almost like he's fed up. Like, stop trying to convince me that he's risen. Unless I touch him, unless I touch the nail prints in his hand, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. They're sitting around, irritated. Just shut up. I don't want to hear any more about it. And then just like the first time, I don't know if it made that sound, but it would have been neat. Jesus pops in the building. <laughs> I love this. Listen to what he says. Watch. He says, just one little short phrase of introduction, peace be with you. In other words, settle down. Just chill out. And then he says this. Now remember, tension in the room. Thomas is like, I'm telling you, I'm not going to believe till I see him. Till I touch the hands, till I touch the side, I'm not going to believe. 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 Jesus did not pop in the room and go, Thomas, come on, man. Come on, these guys are right. Come on, you should just believe them. He didn't say that. What did he say? Instantly, he said, put your finger here. Now, if I was Thomas, I would have been scared to death at this point in time because I'd have been like, oh, he's listening to me. The very thing I told my friends, there's no way I'm going to believe until he does this. Jesus then, boom, walks in the building, walks right in the room and says, hey, Thomas, chill out. Hey, you want to touch my hands? You want to touch my side? I'd have been like, whoa, <laughs> I'm sorry. I haven't said anything like that. The beautiful thing in here is that Jesus went right to his request. And here's what I think could happen in our relationships. There's people in your lives that are not telling you what they're asking Jesus. And we get impatient. We say, come on, why don't you believe? And all they can tell us is it's not that easy. But out of your earshot, they're telling Jesus exactly what it would take. And I'm reading about a God who is not above reaching out and giving people exactly what they need to believe. Thomas said, listen, I'm done talking. Unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe. I'm not taking the rest of my life to follow what he's asking me to do. If I can't touch him, Jesus pops in the room. And the first thing he says is, hey, man, touch me. It's fine. It's fine. If that's what you need to believe, I'm God. I'm God. And over the years, what I've had to have confidence in is God knows what your friend is thinking. God knows the roadblocks in their brain. God knows the roadblocks to faith. God knows things that I can't even scratch the surface about. So if I'm patient and love on people, he'll pop into their lives and say, hey, just touch me. Because here's what I know, an experience with me isn't that great. An experience with the risen Savior is life transforming. So he knows the keys to believing. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, put your, put your hand out and place it in my side. We have to be confident that in time Jesus will answer the roadblock in people's faith. That he will do 
He will prove himself. He will reveal himself in the middle of people's unbelief, in the middle of their doubt, that how could all this happen? That he's more than capable of showing himself faithful. He's more than capable of showing himself real. Now, watch this. Um, I, have, I have actually done this before. I have uh, shown the video. Everybody remember, it's the video. Uh, everybody's gonna be uh, raptured. And then only, only uh, people away from Jesus will be left here. And then the news people are going to be trying to figure it out. Remember that video? Okay. The video didn't work. So I would then turn to a friend that, I'd, that I cared about. And I would say, okay, I, you're going to hell. <laughs> Which I think sometimes they turn around and say, no, you go to hell. <laughs> I, so what happened was, if I couldn't get them with the video... I've threatened them. That always works. It always works. Hey, listen, listen, I'm a believer. I'm going to be raptured. And then you're going to be stuck here watching these stupid news programs, trying to figure out where I am. And it's going to get really, really bad. And all kinds of bad things are going to happen. And you're going to be stuck. So I try to get him with that. God loves you. Don't get stuck. And then we watch the video and then they wouldn't turn. And then I would turn to them and say, you're going to go to hell. And they'd be like, okay, I'm going home now. And I'd be like, what? So being raptured isn't a big enough deal. Going to hell isn't a big enough deal. Like God, I have no more tricks in the bag. My bag's empty. Here's what I figured out. Here's what I figured out. Jesus never gave any threats. Never. He never gave any threats, just peace. No threats, just peace. Watch what happens. There's a little little formula I saw here. I don't do formulas a lot, and I don't do alliteration a lot. But the world just came together on this one. So here's a little formula. Peace, proof, proclamation. Peace, you should write it down. Peace, proof, proclamation. Peace, proof, proclamation. Turn to the person sitting on your sofa and tell them peace, proof, proclamation. Peace, proof, proclamation. Peace, proof, proclamation. Say it three times really fast. Peace, proof, proclamation. Peace, proof, proclamation. Peace, proof. I probably should have had that. That last one's a couple of syllables extra. Makes it weird. Watch this. Thomas makes a proclamation. At the end of this, he says, my Lord and my God. Now, I want you to know how important this is. You can't just read over this. You can't just say, oh, he finally figured it out. No, no, no. A good Jew, this would have been blasphemous. This would have been, if he just said this in public, if there'd have been a crowd around Jesus when he revealed himself, and Thomas would have said, this is the risen Savior. This is the king of kings and lord of lords. That's what he's saying. My lord and my God. They'd have roped him up. It was blasphemy for him to say this. So this wasn't just like, oh man, dude, I get it. This was a risky thing he was admitting to. So you see a turn in Thomas, like a drastic turn. So Thomas, all of a sudden, so what do we see? We see peace. Jesus pops in the room and says, hey man, settle down. It's fine. Proof? Touch me. Touch me. Thomas reaches out and touches him. And then what do we see? Proclamation. 
Peace, proof, proclamation, peace, proof, proclamation, peace, proof, proclamation, peace, proof, proclamation. Jesus knows what it takes. Peace, proof, proclamation, no threats. You don't see Jesus walking around, rocking, walking around um, in, in, in the New Testament going, going, hey, all of y'all going to hell. All y'all going to hell. I'm the savior of the world. All y'all are going to hell. All of you are going to hell. I'm the savior of the world. That was not his message. His message was God came to rescue you. That's a different story. I can be condemned or I can be rescued. I'm going to tell you something. I'm picking rescued every time. I, that's why it says there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We don't preach a message of, Christ, of condemnation. Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him the world may be saved. So he pops in on the, on the disciples and he says, peace be with you. He proves himself and then Thomas gives a proclamation. Only that's not the only place in scripture that this formula works. You can superimpose this almost on every encounter Jesus has with people. He even will tell him at the end, don't say anything. And they can't help it. He's like, shh, don't say anything. My time hadn't come yet. They walk right out the door and go, hey! Because when peace and proof show up, proclamation follows every time. Because if you're patient and love on people and they encounter Christ, you can't can't muzzle that. Tell you one more little story. There's a story in the New Testament of a, a woman standing at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. Jesus tells the guys traveling with him, hey, we got to go this way. He goes and talks to her. Now, in those times, Jews did not talk to Samaritans. Samaritans were a mixed race people that Jewish people despised and Jesus was breaking cultural boundaries, but when he showed up, he showed up in an attitude of peace towards her, and she was shocked, floored. What in the world are you doing here talking to me? He shows up with peace. He starts talking to her, and then he gives her proof. He says, hey, listen. She says, well, I have to go get my, oh, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, I know. Now, here's why I know this wasn't a condemning statement. Because she proclaims after he gives her proof. There was no threat in this. He said, I know. You're not married. You've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And the lady says, I perceive you to be a prophet. <laughs> she went, oh. Oh, you, oh, Okay. Okay, Jesus has a conversation with her about worship and living water, peace, proof. The Bible says that she goes into town and brings back everybody and says, come see a man that told me everything about myself. Proclamation. You know what this world needs more than anything else? Peace. Peace from war. Peace from confusion. Peace from bitterness. Peace from strife, peace, peace from arguing, peace from murder, peace from racism, peace. The world needs peace and Jesus came to give it. And the second thing they need is proof. 
And the proof a lot of times now is that you love them, that you will stick by, that Jesus can prove himself without a shadow of a doubt that he doesn't need. He doesn't need us arguing for him day in and day out and day in and day out and stressing people out. He needs us to show them love just like he did and give a doorway for him to walk through. And here's what I believe. Proclamation follows that every time. Because I know the people that I've seen come to Christ say, he is my savior. He is everything. He's delivered me, saved me, kept me. He's given me peace that passes all understanding. And just like Thomas, my Lord and my God, and just like the woman of well, come see a man that's told me everything about myself. Peace, proof, and proclamation. That's what we need in this season. And so here's what I say to you this morning, if you're watching. Say, man, I don't know about this Jesus. I don't know about believing in him. I don't know about switching my, my life up. I don't know about changing everything to follow Jesus. He hears you. He hears you just like he heard Thomas. He hears you just like he did the woman at the well. He hears you just like he did the woman called in adultery. He hears you just like he did Matthew, the tax collector. He hears you just like he did, just like he did Simon. He hears you just like he did Andrew. He hears you just like he did Zacchaeus in a tree. He hears you just like he did in every story in scripture. He hears you specifically every time you say, I don't know if I can do this. He hears you and he wants to meet you right there, right there. No condemnation, no threats, no you're going to hell. He wants to meet you right there. And what I want to guarantee you is there's a church body who's willing to be patient and loving until he meets you. Whether it takes eight days or eight years. Ten years. But I would say this. The band's going to come up. We're going to shut this down. I would say this. I would say, don't wait just for waiting's sake. I happen to believe that there's people watching right now that you're feeling a little tap on the shoulder. You're feeling, maybe you sense the presence of God walk right into your room. And he's, he's doing a Thomas right now. He's walking in and he's saying, hey, I know exactly what you need. To believe. I know, I know exactly what you need to make that decision today. I know exactly what you need to come to faith in Christ. And I believe he's doing that. I would implore you, don't wait. The living God is right there waiting, being patient on you. I'd take him up on it today. Maybe it has been five years. Maybe it has been two weeks. Maybe it's been 10 years. And you're realizing God's been so patient with you. He's kept you. After all you've been through, you're still here. And I happen to be of the belief if you're still here, that means he's still coming after you. He's still reaching out with everything that he has, meeting you where you are. And I'd encourage you this morning, take him up on it. Just take him on, but it doesn't have to be fancy. All Thomas said was my Lord and my God. He didn't go down through a liturgy of Christian words and all these, no, he just said, hey, you're it. I believe you're it. 
figure this out as we go. I believe you're it. That's all you need to do today. It's all you need to do today. You say, I, I believe you're it. I believe that you can save me. I believe that you can bring peace into my life. I believe that you can do in me what I've been trying to do for so long. So I want to pray that over you. If you're a believer, if you've already accepted Christ this morning, I want you to ask him to give you patience. I want him to ask you to give you patience. That you can just offer peace into people's life and let God prove himself. Father, we pray that way this morning. We got for everybody watching that's making that decision for the first time. Just like Thomas, you're it. I pray that they sense your presence like never before. I pray that you'd speak right to that question. Just like you did with Thomas. I pray that you speak right to it. I pray that you give them the confidence that you are the risen Savior. That you are real. Lord, I pray for the church, God, that you give us patience with people. That you let us just love on people for a lifetime. Just love on people the way you did. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your, for your consistency. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience. Most of all, Lord, we thank you that you've forgiven us of our sins. Thank you that you have given us eternal life. We thank you that you have rescued us. We thank you, Lord, that you're still doing it day after day after day. And we give you the honor and the praise because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.